I am willing to wager 20,000 pounds that I will make a tour of the world in 80 days or less. Do you accept? I accept, I accept. Train leaves for Dover this evening. Good evening, gentlemen. Hello everyone and welcome to 80 Days in Exploration Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you as ever by three history and geography nerds in an internet-powered balloon. And this podcast is dedicated to discussing little-known countries, territories, settlements, and cities from around the world, if you didn't know that by now. My name is Luke Kelly. I'm broadcasting from Dublin, Ireland, and joining me today are... Mark Boyle in Vancouver in Canada. And Joe Byrne in Dublin, Ireland. And in today's episode, we'll be talking about Tsushima, an island in the Nagasaki Prefecture in Japan, which lies in the Tsushima Strait on the western side of Kyushu, the southernmost mainland island of Japan. Tsushima sits between Japan and South Korea, around 60 kilometers from Iki, its closest island neighbor, and around 138 kilometers from the city of Fukuoka, and just under 50 kilometers from Busan, South Korea. Tsushima has a total area of around 700 square kilometers, making up 17% of the Nagasaki prefecture, and meaning it's similar in size to Singapore, Dominica, or a little bit larger than Guam. The island has been long been a site of conflict, being disputed by Korea and Japan even into the modern day. The island famously played witness to the Battle of Tsushima in 1905, a naval engagement which took place just offshore between Japanese and Russian navies and resulted in a decisive victory for the Japanese, signaling the end of the Russo-Japanese War, which was a major contributing factor in the build-up to the Russian Revolution. However, Tsushima these days is probably best known for being at the forefront of the Mongol invasions of Japan in 1274 and 1281, in events which are still commemorated today and which were immortalized in the 2020 video game Ghosts of Tsushima. That game has made uh, has made searching for information on Tsushima very difficult. Yes, <laughs> it has. It absolutely has. Every everything I tried to Google, I just came up with video game strategy guides. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a sm- it's a small place, so a popular game has really eclipsed the actual island yeah. in terms of yeah, uh, English think- language SEO. I imagine probably most people uh, who are listening to this have have maybe heard mm. of it through the video game as opposed to through anything else. But uh, we'll we'll see. But Mark, did you live in Nagasaki Prefecture when you were? Uh, I didn't. Japanese? I did know people who live there, uh, but you were um, nearby. Right? Yeah, not not like that that neck of the woods, and like it's pretty fair to kind of highlight that this is one of those things where it's like technically in Nagasaki Prefecture, but like it's <laughs> like. It's not anywhere near there. It's just like administratively, it's been wedged yeah. in. Yeah, it's it's much nearer. To, what were your numbers there? Like, is it? It's nearer to Korea than it is to Kyushu. Isn't oh yeah, it? yeah, much yeah. nearer. Yeah, yeah. But it. So. Yeah, okay. Which makes it an interest. That's why it's interesting. That's why we're talking about it. Hmm. Speaking of uh, living in places, Mark, yes, you've I have moved. moved. <laughs> uh, it was very difficult because uh, I've got a lot of kids. Uh, they're, they're difficult to move it turns yeah. out uh yeah and we spent the last yeah. kind of couple of months literally when we were heading to the airport there was all this stuff that we hadn't managed to sell and we just like left it on our front doorstep and we we're just watching like our neighbors like zombies crawling out of their 
their their their caves to like <laughs> fight each other for our scraps. Pick yeah. through your picking, picking the meat off of our corpse bones. Ooh, yeah. a bedside cabinet. That Excellent. was that was weird. <laughs> anyway, wonderful. Yeah. Do you want to uh, talk about something that we're looking forward to uh, mentioning in this episode? How about you go first, Joe? Well, I'm looking forward to to being able to talk about not one but two uh, kamikaze. The, the origin of the, the name used for the um, kind of Japanese suicide bomber planes in uh, World War Two is, is 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 a divine wind that intervened mm. um, not once but twice in Japanese history, and is quite quite remarkable. Like um, and Tsushima, you know, was features in the story of that uh, both times. So. Uh, not particularly gloriously, but it, it's there. Great. I'm looking forward to a uh, choice one-liner used to clear up a sort of ongoing piece of uh, geographical and uh, authority-based confusion. Sounds enticing. I'm looking forward to talking about something that we've talked about before, which is the um, the Russo-Japanese War, where um, Russia gets spanked um, uh, resoundingly. So... Uh, and I suppose on that point, if you have not listened to our episode on the Kuril Islands, it, I think it might be worth listening to that first. We kind of cover a lot of the Russo-Japanese War there, and it is a, there's a lot of overlap in, in terms of the, the 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 conflict points between Japan and its neighbours. But here there's kind of more Korea, and in the Kuril Islands there's more Russia, but they're not that far away from each other yeah. once you get into um, this part neck of the woods, but it was a yeah, it's a good primer. But yeah, I don't, I don't think no. it's a required listening you necessarily. Do you but listeners, certainly you do a good. You. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good complimentary piece. So, I guess to kick off, in order to sort of talk about the history here, we need to highlight the dispute between Japan and South Korea um, over Tsushima. And it's actually, I think, a small group of islands as opposed Mm. to one island. But yeah, for the purposes of of the podcast, I think we'll just be referring to it as the main island. Much of the conflict stems over kind of who had a foothold here first. And this is one of those cases, as far as I can tell, where most of the sources that I read are biased in one way or mm. the other. Yeah. So I can't make any promises of 100% accuracy or not annoying anyone necessarily who has a, has a vested interest in this in this question. But, you know, we'll, we'll do our best. Uh, basically, Tsushima has been a Japanese territory for almost its entire history, at least since the 8th century. But some Korean governments have claimed the island is rightfully Korean even though it's not officially claimed in any way by either South Korea or North Korea at the moment. The royal court of Korea's Joseon dynasty recognized that the island was inhabited and controlled by the Japanese at at some point, as most sources do, and it, it generally maintained that the island had been Korean territory since antiquity, but that's despite a lengthy Japanese occupation of the island that, that it fundamentally uh, believes belongs to Korea. And this appears to be where the disagreement has stemmed from. And the most significant kind of flare-up of this dispute came in 1950, uh, which we'll probably touch on when we get there. According to Japanese legend, Tsushima was the sixth of the great lands uh, of the Eightfold Isles to have been born by Izanami and Izagani, uh, a divine brother and sister who helped to create the islands of Japan. The island itself has a humid subtropical climate, 
and it's strongly influenced by monsoon winds. The average temperature is around 15 degrees Celsius or 60 degrees Fahrenheit, with highs of around 30 degrees Celsius or 86 degrees Fahrenheit in summer, and hovering just in and around freezing during the winter months. It tends to rain a lot more than the main islands, and it's a bit, uh, a little bit colder than most of the main islands of Japan. Could, could, could I just, could I just say on the, uh, the, the the mythological thing, like uh, it's yeah. important to Japan's worldview that, that they think that these eight islands were the first things created in the Shinto worldview, and that does shape your view of the rest of the world. Uh, that these mm. islands appeared, that the Japanese are the first people, and you know, at the at yeah, the dawn of time, born of the sun. Yeah. Mark, do you know? Yeah, may, maybe, but the, the the sun thing is also a, a, a double for the Chinese looking out into the sea and seeing the sun rising out of Japan, hence yeah. the land of the rising sun, because they're they were the ones who kind of actually set the cultural kind of reference points. Yep. The Japanese might have liked to reinterpret, uh, you know. But there you go. Um, but archaeological evidence suggests that uh, Tsushima was settled by hunter gatherers from both the Japanese archipelago and the Korean Peninsula from the Jomon period, which begins in 14,000 mm -hmm. BC. And this period was rich in uh, tools and jewelry made from bone, stones, uh, shell, as you would imagine on a, in an island culture, pottery figurines, and lacquerware. In the Yayoi period, which is 300 BC to 250 AD, during which Japan settled from an agricultural society using methods that were introduced to the country initially from Korea. Uh, so it's quite likely that... Um, Tsushima was probably one of the earliest places that, that this um, this transition began to happen. So in 1999, uh, archaeologists in this region uncovered a number of artifacts from around that period on Tsushima, including 100 pits believed to have housed the pillars that acted as supporting structures for raised floor warehouses, mm. um, as well as some 10,000 uh, pot shards dating from the Yayoi so that, era. So that would imply like rice agriculture if you're storing yeah. grain yeah. in warehouses you, you're growing exactly. grain rather than hunting gathering i i'm amazed by archaeologists like the 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 earth is a slightly different color here and from that we can tell you a whole lot of, like uh, they got mm. so little to work with yeah the, the basically one of the archaeologists in that report that i read said like you know the structures of the of the houses give the impression that Tsushima has been strongly influenced by continental Asia as opposed to the sort of island cultures of Japan at that time. So, it, he said it appears that foreigners have come to reside together with the inhabitants indigenous to Tsushima. So we're you know we're already getting this kind of tussle of different cultures, given that it it, it lies between the Korean Peninsula and the, the mm -hmm. islands of Japan. Uh, there's also a de description of Tsushima in the Wei Chronicle, which was written in the late third century. And it reads, one arrives at Tsushima by crossing the sea from the southern part of the Korean peninsula. The island has steep mountains, many forests, as well as some 1,000 households. The islanders earn their living through trade and eat much marine products, as they do not have good paddy fields. Okay, that's going to be a consistent so, uh, problem. Yeah. And that, that's a Chinese source? Yes, that was written by uh, Chen Shao, a bureaucrat of the Western Qin dynasty. Uh, so that would have been somewhere between 265 and 370. Okay, so this is a, an outsider kind of visiting on his holidays. Yeah. <laughs> kind of exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's not, not good land. Not good land. Yep, not great, but plenty of fish. So in the Yamato period, which is a period of J Japanese history when the imperial court ruled from uh, mm -hmm. the Nara prefecture. Near Kyoto. Yeah. It appears to have spread its influence as far as Tsushima, 
uh, and perhaps even as far as modern-day Korea. Okay. And then in the 600s, uh, there were three Tang invasions into the Korean peninsula, which spurred the building of fortresses on the island, uh, as well as on nearby Iki Island, which we mentioned a little bit earlier, to protect the outer borders of the Japanese uh, kingdom. Mm -hmm. And along this fortified line, were, uh, they had water towers, which were installed, uh, by which information on enemy movements could be transmitted quickly, I assume by possibly spoke signals or, or flags cool. or something like that. So. Uh, and then the last point I have here is Buddhism, along with Chinese writing, was initially transmitted from the Korean Peninsula via the Eastern Channel to Japan in the 5th century uh, by way of the uh, Straits of Tsushima and likely via the island itself. Uh, so again, we're seeing it's it's kind of an entry point for both culture and agricultural practices and, and a lot of other things uh, from what we would call continental mm. Asia, I guess. So that's that will probably set us up quite well for the for the next section yeah. i think joe and it actually sets me up quite well for that that thing i wanted to to discuss oh, about yeah. the name um for talking about uh you know the introduction of chinese writing and uh and, and buddhism mm. and so on the, the name is a bit odd so when when we decided we were doing this uh i i hadn't heard of tsushima uh i think mark was it you suggested or, or luke one of you anyway and I, I have now, actually. very it's rudimentary Japanese. I've visited twice and learned enough to know what place names mean. And I knew Shima meant island. That was one of the very few bits yep. of vocab I had. And then I looked at, and I'm also learning Chinese at the moment, so I looked at the name in kanji. I was like, that second bit is a horse, which is pronounced ma in Chinese. And that first right. bit, I don't know what's going on. So... Instead of the name being something island, it was something horse, and that first something is pronounced sushi. But the first character means kind of right facing or correct or something like that. It's doi ma in Chinese. Like, place isn't known for its horses, it isn't known for being correct in no. any particular way. Um, and so I, I dug into it a little bit, and I'll put a link in, in the show notes to a discussion between some some amateurs on on a Stack Exchange about that kind of like where do you think this comes from? But somebody mm. dug up like an older reference to it as um, two characters that mean Port Island, you know, Tsushi or Tsushima, which seems like a more obvious origin. Yeah, still not that exciting. Mm. There was also some suggesting that the yeah. the the other character could mean like a pair and the island does kind of look like two islands it wasn't two, actually yeah, split by a canal until much later but it's kind of got two halves so the theory is that the chinese or the koreans using chinese writing had come up with a way to write the name that the japanese were using down in their own sound system and then when the japanese became literate in that system they just adopted this kind of somewhat ill-conceived um, way of, of describing the place that involves horses. Uh, but I, I thought that was interesting. Most people may not, but uh, yeah. I just wanted to put it out there because it was the first I thing mean, that struck the, me. It's like, what kind of island is this? Oh, it's a horse. Uh, yeah. I mean, I haven't I haven't read anything about horses. In, in they any have research, a very so small I, like indigenous horse population. They're quite sturdy and quite endangered. Okay, but, um, okay. that's not it. Mm. That's not what you're naming the island after. So not that sturdy. Yeah. They're that endangered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, to get into the, the, the history, um, post kind of 1000 AD, mm. one of the big 
uh, events that Hitsushima. And, and to be honest, there are big gaps here because it's not a, a key cultural center or a military center in in the times between interactions no, I mean, with men. I, I found the same in my section. Yeah, for um, sure. So th there wasn't a lot to be found in the early periods. It it occasionally yeah. pops up when it's important, and then other time, like for hundreds of years, no one mentions nothing. it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's just continuing to have poor paddy fields and lots of fish. Yeah. So in 1019, there was an important event in Japanese history called the Toy Invasions, um, which seemed to be very traumatic for Japan as it was um, developing in in its. Uh, relationships with his neighbours. Uh, a series of raids by about 50 ships of uh, what are described as Jurchen pirates. So it's the Korean term for barbarians as opposed to civilised Koreans. And that's kind of an idea that was borrowed from Chinese thinking as well. It's like there's us and there's barbarians. Um, right. And these would be people from Manchuria, uh, the Jurchens. So the, these um, pirates were quite fierce. They first struck Iki, which is a nearby island, killed the garrison yeah. of 150 troops there, including the, the Fujiwara governor. Uh, they abducted the women and took them into slavery from the island. And that pattern mm. continued throughout their invasions. So they, they fell on Tsushima next, where they took many captives and destroyed the silver mines. And this raiding lasted several weeks on the Korean coast and on Kyushu, where they... Um, killed many and, and took up to a thousand people into slavery, mostly women and uh, children. This was a horrifying experience for everyone involved. Eventually, a Korean fleet caught up with the toy and seems to have pretty much uh, dispatched their fleet and, and sent them running back to where they came from. And they rescued about 300 Japanese women from slavery, uh, repatriating them to Japan, for which Japan was quite grateful. Uh, in 1246, so skipping forward 250 years, the Shugo of this area, so that's the kind of military commander of uh, Tsushima, who was uh, the Abiru family, they rose up against their superiors, who were the authorities in Kyushu, uh, based at the Zaifu. Um, so that was the, the military court that was ruling the, the southernmost island okay. of Japan at the time. And it was at the seat of the Kamakura Shogunate, so the kind of warlords who were top dogs during this period. So the, the yeah. Shigo rose up against them, um, and they were heavily put down by a man called Koremune Shigehisa, who, in thanks for re-establishing order for the Shogunate, he became the, the kind of hereditary land steward of Tsushima. So... His descendant. So thanks for thanks for putting down those pesky yeah, rebels. Exactly. Have the place. Uh, yeah. Here's you're, you're the king now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're you're the governor the Duke. essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So he's an ancestor of the the So clan who who will end up ruling Tsushima for like about a thousand years. So this is a, an important moment. Uh, the Karamune clan taking over. Okay. In 1267, uh, Sukakuni So who is a descendant of uh, our, that, that, that guy, <laughs> um, who's still, you know, what's that, a generation later, is still playing an important political role on Tsushima. Yeah. He received an envoy from um, Goryeo, which was a, a kingdom uniting three kingdoms in Korea. And in fact, it's where the, the name for Korea comes from. Yeah. 
That's what um, like okay. in English. You know, that's we 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 sort of anglicized Goryeo, which was Goryeo. the yeah, yeah. And so Sakakuni So received an embassy from Korea uh, at Tsushima and conveyed them to Tatsaifu to give a message from the Mongols to the inverted commas king of Japan. Uh, of course, that wouldn't be taken well by the emperor of Japan, who believed he was descended from the yeah. sun. But I think the Mongols have been quite pointed in calling him a king. This is a, a source of conflict okay. between China and the rest of the world regularly. They're like, we have is the only this, emperor. Is this the first contact between Tsushima and the Mongols that you're aware of, Joe? So yeah, the, the Mongols kind of started knocking on the door of China about 50 years earlier and um, under Genghis Khan and kind of were now in control of most of China. They now reach the coast and they're ready to, to keep going. And we're looking looking further. So this embassy of Koreans that were sent to talk to the Japanese, they were sent to ask for tribute and there were veiled threats of uh, violence implied if they did not. Pyramids of heads, so on, you know. Yeah, but obviously there was a big um, ego battle there between the Japanese seeing themselves as an emperor. You know, why would you pay? Why would an emperor pay? Tribute if to another the emperor. Were doing veiled threats. I think they were doing pretty well after having fifty years of Mongol rule. Yeah, they're like, like they're gonna make mincemeat of you. Like they're gonna <laughs> like they're gonna devour your pets. Like, yeah, I don't. Know. I can't get this across clearly enough yeah. to you. Like I could flim flam around here, but it'd be wasting our time. Run for you your know, lives. Fear some horse warriors and 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 the ocean. You know. Yeah. A... You've never heard of Genghis Khan. <laughs> They've been there for 50 years, <laughs> and I'm the one telling you. Ah, oh, lads, like, Jesus. You, but, you have no idea what's coming. Know. Japan famous <laughs> exactly. Um So anyway, so the, this is one of the, the first records I could find of the, the So clan in Tsushima acting as this kind of go-between between Korea mm. and Japan. Mm. You know, so an embassy turns up in Tsushima to say, hey, we'd like to go see the Shogun or the Emperor or whoever has practical power at the time yeah and they go yeah yeah we'll take you um and they bring them safely so this is a role that they they continue to play for centuries and um is, is quite important but anyway this um this these veiled threats don't stay veiled for very long because obviously japan the the the, the quote-unquote king of japan doesn't um pay his tribute to mm. to the emperor of heaven um Ooh, awkward and on the 5th of November 1274, uh, there was a fleet spotted from the shore of Tsushima. Simultaneously, the shrine to Hachiman caught on fire. Uh, Completely unrelated. I have written here, it would have been um, an omen of bad luck in the view of most people. I would imagine. But Deputy Governor uh, Sekakune So, um, he interpreted it as an omen of warning, which is somehow different as well as the guy warning you about the mountains of heads that you're soon yeah. going to be encountering yes yeah so he, he didn't think that it meant they were going to fail Hachiman uh, did a number two in its trousers and stole a canoe and just rowed out into the sea <laughs> giving everyone the finger and saying you idiots I got the last yeah. boat it yeah. was uh, seen as an ill portent by uh, by the mayor of the town so. <laughs> yeah uh so 1247, we get the invasion of Japan by the Mongols um, under Kublai Khan. Um, so he's now the emperor of China. Uh, it's Genghis's son, I think. He's the he's the grandson. Grandson. Yeah. Uh, so he's the, the emperor. He sends a fleet 
so I joked about Mongols not having boats. Clearly, they figured it out um, by this they point. Floating after yeah. after ruling China for a while. Yeah. So this fleet comes from China and from Goryeo, which seems to be under Chinese suzerainty at this point. They landed on Sasura Beach at two a.m. Simultaneously, uh, Governor So is riding over the mountains with his eighty samurai that he has to hand. Oh, wow. When they arrive at the beach, they send a translator to go and talk to the Mongols uh, who shoot them full of arrows and shoot the beach full of arrows. Um, How many Mongols are there, response. So that translates pretty clearly. There are about 40,000 Mongols wow. on 900 ships. Okay. And you show up with your 80, 80 samurai. samurai. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, so... I mean, I'm sure they were very brave, but they did fail to repel yeah. the initial Mongolian invasion. You can just imagine being Carrying. one of those samurai and like cresting a hill and seeing like, 900 oh, ships. <laughs> maybe like, Hachiman Shrine had some knowledge we didn't have. Yeah. So we'll each 500 yeah. and that'll, that'll ba- yes. balance out. That works out of about 10, 10 ships worth of Mongols each. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, so he was not successful um, and he and his sons Umajiro and Yajiro uh, all killed themselves in defeat as you do you know a bit of seppuku of a, of a morning um, so yeah I, I hope the Mongols killed many of the samurai they didn't all kill themselves uh, that would seem counterproductive <laughs> the, the, the mighty but, the mighty um, Japanese warriors all killed themselves before the battle started uh, lest, lest they be shamed it would be a good way to freak out yeah. your enemies exactly yeah However, the Mongol army, like what, so Tsushima was toast, um, but the Mongol army did not succeed in its goal of conquering Japan. Um, it was eventually thwarted in Kyushu, the nearby, mm. relatively speaking, Very big. main bit of Japan, um, by the Kamikaze hurricane, which is seen as a divine providence, at some point into appeals to Hachiman. He's a Shinto god of everything. He seems to be like farmers and war and... You know, all all kinds of things. I I, I should say at this point, I, I, I haven't actually uh, played the game. I don't know. I assume I, neither of you have. But I think this is kind of the period in which the game uh, yeah. Ghost of Tsushima is set. It's kind of the, yeah. this in-between period where the Mongols take over Tsushima and then are looking to, to kind of... So uh, I did read a little bit about the game as part of my, my reading on this section okay. um, because I was trying to figure out when it was set. Mm. And it, as you say, it was definitely this era. Uh, so, Inverse.com had an article about it, like, you know, what's the true story behind it? Um, so, essentially, this Sony game replaces uh, the samurai leader, so, with, uh, you know, a playable character okay. who is kind of the kamikaze personified. So, in this in this universe... You you repel the Mongols by stabbing them, fighting them as a brave samurai yeah. rather than being a hurricane. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so you know, so was not successful. But if he had been, that would be the computer game. <laughs> right. Okay. Interesting. I think. But this kind of last stand at Tsushima is is obviously quite legend inducing. It's quite heroic. I mean, it's you know, it's what, the United Max of um. 300, yeah, exactly. That, that you know that uh, movie from the two thousands like was based on um uh thermopylae yeah, yeah thermopylae yeah, yeah, yeah there you go so similar kind of a doomed last stand type stuff yeah yeah we love that stuff yeah you know yeah. <laughs> you know as storytelling creatures we it's much more interesting than and then the well-matched armies fought for a while yeah. and yeah uh, 
so yeah, as I said, they they were saved by the weather, um, by uh, kamikaze. You mean like holy wind or or sort of spirit wind? Divine wind. I've always heard yeah, it translated yeah. as yeah. Kami or sort of the Kami just means God. Yeah, kamikaze is wind. Yeah, God wind yeah. basically. Yeah. In 1281, uh, so what's that, seven years later, a second invasion on a larger scale again hit Tsushima first on its way to Japan. Um, I don't even have any details of what happened that time. I, th- I think I think Tsushima was, was uh, less, less of an important bulwark okay. in the second better stocked invasion. And presumably the um, Mongols had stayed there a bit like they, yeah. they were they were sort of dug in on Tsushima by that point, I would have thought. Yeah, I don't know about that, okay. um, to be honest. Interesting. I think the Japanese cleared them out pretty well after Kamikaze. Okay. And um, Japan was better prepared. However, uh, this time, yet again, another Kamikaze destroyed most of the Mongol fleet. Okay. With two-thirds of the men killed and many more rounded up and executed. Uh, now, note here, some of the Song Chinese troops in this invasion, who were former allies of Japan, uh, they were allowed to sail home to southern China, presumably because they might cause trouble mm. for the Mongols and destabilize the regime. If uh, they had been treated kindly by their former allies, it seems logical enough. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, we'll let all the Scottish soldiers go in the hopes that uh, they won't turn, <laughs> mess up British politics for us, yeah. and maybe it'll it'll go well. Yeah. It's that kind of a, a relationship, I suppose. Um, so, coming back to Tsushima specifics, uh, Susukakuni So and his followers are enshrined um, as kami at the Komadahama Shrine in Komada. Uh, that is in Izuharamachi, which is part of Tsushima City. Uh, it's kind of a, that would have been a town at the time. Okay. In this shrine, uh, there's a ceremony called uh, Megen Nogi, a ceremony of resounding bowstrings uh, every year, in which people equipped in suits of armor parade around the town and shoot arrows towards the ocean to pray for peace for the island. That's held every November twelfth during the Komada Hama Shrine Festival. Cool. So this. This heroic last stand still celebrated on the island, at least. In 1366, so Mongols put to put to bed. They they don't come again. So two divine winds blowing your massive fleet to smithereens seems to get the point across. Mm. Uh, Japan would say that that's evidence that you know divine powers are on their side, and the Mongols might have just concluded that the weather wasn't conducive to invading uh, Japan. And yeah. at least don't do it at the same time of year every year. Yeah. Um, will be my takeaway. So in 1366, the king of Goryeo uh, asks for help cracking down on pirates. Um, so again, having a memory of the piracy that caused Japan great trouble. I think Japan was keen to help out in that. And again, Tsushima was the the emissary, the, 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 the interlocutor between these two kingdoms. Uh, and on 1395, upon dismissal of the Imagawa clan um, from military rule of Tsushima, the Sou clan, who had been the land stewards for quite some time, they became the, the Shugo, the, the military governors, uh, for six centuries to come. So they'd already been on the scene for quite a while as, as lower level officials, and now they're the top dog. And they would um, they continue to, to do that role for six centuries, and then in the 15th century would turn into daimyos mm-hmm. as the kind of structure of Japanese society got a bit more feudal. Um, so yeah, that's that's me. Uh, that's how we kind of get up to the 14th century. Okay, let's take a quick break here and we'll be back just after this. 
mark you're gonna pick up from here yeah I think. exactly so um just kind of w- wider context uh korea has a sort of a well not korea choson is formed but you know essentially we're talking about kind of the 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 prior version of korea choson was replacing goryeo which had been around for 500 years and this new dynasty would would itself be around for 500 years but it kind of enervated uh you know activity on the peninsula let's say um but this change was precipitated by a few things. Uh, Goryeo's preceding state uh, had been weakened by infighting, then ended up on the wrong side of their new neighboring regime, the formidable Ming dynasty of China. Um, I found this paper, mm. Island's Place in History, Tsushima in Japan and in Choson, 1392 to 1592, by Kenneth Orr Robinson. And it painted this picture of it being really hard to claim that the islands were either Korean or Japanese in this period. Because Tsushima was a, quote, zone of interaction where cultures collided and often converged. The main chap of this time was So Sadashige. So, uh, again, of the So the So dynasty. He was the current uh, governor of Tsushima and had been pretty successful in getting the islanders to do a lot more trading and a lot less piracy. Which was said and kind of warmly welcomed by the powers that be on all sides. Yeah, I didn't really mention the piracy, but, but that, yeah, that was a thing they've been yeah. up to. I mean, island island people on important trading straits, it's just kind of like, you know. Makes sense. It's what you do. Yeah. And there was, there was piracy there, uh, but there was also kind of piracy closer to the Japanese mainland as well. It wasn't just like, you know, it was here. It was all over, really. Um, I think I'd heard Iki Island maybe was a was a popular pirating Pretty base. Makes sense. I don't know. I don't know. Small. Now it's, yeah. yeah. Nice, nice yeah. base, I guess. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, so uh, so uh, Sadashige, who had been able to calm everybody down on their, their love of piracy, died in 1418. Um, and uh, Tsushima went on a bit of a piracy binge, uh, making them a lot harder to ignore by their much more powerful <laughs> neighbours. Um, so... Hey, the governor's yeah. dead. Do you want to be a yeah, pirate? Exactly, yeah. So, uh, 1418... He wouldn't let us be uh, pirates. 1419, the Koreans, uh, or the, the, the Chosanese, let's say... The created an administrative entity called Teimado, uh, kind of you know, starting to slightly more officially claim some kind of formal relationship, ownership, let's say. Uh, there was an invasion, uh, the Oei invasion okay. in 1419. The Korean king, uh, Taejon. These are kind of like the Korean overseas uh, territories. It, it, it is very like that, actually, as we go on. He was quoted as saying, Tsushima belongs to, quote, our country, suggesting a claim older than the documented settlement by Japan. On the 19th day of the sixth mm. month of that year, Korean forces sailed from Masan to attack Temado and bring their pesky pirates to heel. There was 227 ships and over 17,000 soldiers landed in Aso Bay. The Korean general Yi Jong-mu first sent captured Japanese pirates as emissaries to ask for surrender. When he received no reply, he sent out expeditionary forces and the soldiers proceeded to raid the islanders and pirates and plunder their settlements. According to, quote, veritable records of the Joseon dynasty, a Korean history book, uh, in the battle on June 20th, the Korean army captured 129 ships, burned almost 2,000 houses, killed over 100 people, captured 21, and rescued 131 Chinese who had been captured by the uh, pirate ships. Um they would lose quite a few huh. men in the low hundreds. That is, unless you ask the Japanese, in which case they lost two and a half thousand men. Uh, so, yeah. Similarly, uh, disputed. Yeah, exactly. So, certainly, 
something happened. <laughs> I think everyone agrees something happened. It's, it's not common in modern history that people do that. Where they're like, no, no, we murdered a well, lot more people. Yeah, it's, <laughs> the flavor has changed, I guess. Um, so uh, regardless of this Japanese account, uh, this was considered a, a pretty successful piece of work by the, the Joseon dynasty. So Sadashige was replaced by his son, So Satomori. Uh, again, this led to less piracy. Taejon, king of uh, Korea, essentially, uh, highlighted that he had loads of proof that Tsushima was actually historically Korean, but then provided none. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's going to come out soon, guys. It's going to come out soon. It's um, really big news. In 1420, a man claiming to be an emissary of So Satomori presented himself at the Korean royal court, saying basically, oh yeah, we, oh, we'd just love to be Korean. It would be so nice for Tsushima if we were just could be Korean. So we would nice. just love it. Uh, which sounds very thin, like so thin maybe it didn't happen, but, uh, you know, okay. <laughs> and uh, so they, they mm-hmm. so Korea then changed how they interacted with Tsushima, including changing the status of ships coming from there. So, like, administratively, they changed their processes to be, well, you're not a ship coming from another country anymore. You're a ship coming from a part of Korea to sort of recognize... Korea. That, well, maybe maybe they could be part of Korea. Maybe okay, work. so they've kind of soft annexed it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we're just gonna we're just gonna we consider it Korea. This is like a like an anti Brexit. This is like we're we're actually gonna loosen custom rules. Well, like for they're, you. they're not changing anything. Yeah. They're just changing the wording on the papers. Effectively, it's very it's very very, very yeah. administrative, but very effective. So if your Tsushima ship gets pulled over by the by the by the traffic. Yep cops i'm a local you, you show them your papers and they go oh you're korea it's like no, no I'm, I'm japanese like no you're korea no, 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 no. you're korean <laughs> so go, going going the other direction then we got this korean envoy he's en route to the japanese shogun he stops off in tsushima and spoke to the pirate leader there who who was apparently the real strength of the place kind of at the time um he what he's, he's head pirate that's, that's that's pretty strong uh so the korean envoy decides to you know query this check again with this this guy who had come over and said, you know, oh, it's Tsushima would love to be Korean. So the, the pirate king responds, uh, he would fight a hundred battles and die a hundred deaths before the ownership of the island uh, would be removed from the Shoni, uh, which is his kind of pirate clan. Uh, after this, So Satomori, who's governor still, uh, was kind of taking orders from this pirate guy, clarified the position to Korea that the previous envoy was nobody and to not listen to him. And basically, uh, they also kind of importantly, they sent it to the equivalent of the foreign office to underline, we are a different country, so we're going to commun- communicate with you in that way, rather than to the Korean governor who had been appointed to, to rule them. <laughs> to Tsushima. Yeah. They, yeah. So it's, it's kind of underlined, we are not Korea. Uh, and I think, the Shon- I think the Shoni and the So had a long relationship. I think the Shoni was a bigger, more powerful family um, on the mainland. But I, I couldn't quite dig into that relationship. You do find websites that kind of list all of the the you know samurai clans and all their history, but the level of detail is quite varied. Um, so after this, Korea kind of doesn't seem to take this very well and keeps pulling up pieces of unverified hearsay and reinterpreting kind of something that happened in history to kind of then force the point of. Ah, you see, this proves that Tsushima has always been Korean. <laughs> yeah. um, like they're yeah. kind of, yeah, they're just really not dealing with this well. Uh, the vague assertions of Taejong, the, the Korean king, got like wound into Korean history. So it, like we've kind of said before, it makes it really hard to take any of the Korean history of this place kind of with, yeah. 
like a Korean guy visited here 1,200 years ago and left the TripAdvisor yeah, yeah. review. So it's obviously Korean. Like. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah. they didn't ignore, as in the Koreans didn't ignore that this place had really significant Japanese history. And they were able to see the kind of the practical reality that, you know, it's, it's full of Japanese people and the Japanese are running it and so on. Um, but also yeah. the 1499 map they had clearly had it as being part of the Kyongsang province of Choson. So it, it, it does seem like they were kind of slowly driving themselves mad with this thing. They like, you know, yeah. they get it, but they still don't get it. They can't let go. Um, and a Korean map from this time acknowledges that, yes, it's Japanese, but says something along the lines of, we don't know when they took it from us. Uh, so... Stop the uh, steal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When was the steal? We didn't notice at the time. Yeah. When was the steal? We don't know. We weren't we there. It was it. maybe a thousand years ago. Can you yeah. tell us when the steal was? Yeah. Um, so uh, the paper I read uh, spent quite a bit of time getting into you know, the discussion of maps. And there was these two weird features of this that I want to, to, to draw up. The first was that apparently some Korean maps used to, assumedly on purpose, draw Tsushima much closer to the Korean mainland than it actually was. So that's 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 an interesting well, a nightmare for well, navigators. But, uh, I guess yeah. uh, separately, there was for some reason wholly unknown to me a way of kind of conceiving Korea, and I guess this is kind of semi legend uh, involved. But they conceived of it like a person. So the borders of Korea drew like a, a a person, and then there was one big Korean island called Jeju, which is is apparently very green and very beautiful, and people holiday in Jeju, and it's very nice, and that is. Up like a foot and a foot implies another foot and that foot would be Tsushima so okay uh, so the, the the body of Korea cannot have only one foot it it, must it's have essentially foot. the idea yeah um, yeah that is an interesting nationalist yeah. take yeah it's kind of, well obviously this island's part of our island because the other it's a foot. man yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like Ireland's a teddy I'm bear. going straight yeah. to Google Maps now it doesn't like it doesn't it doesn't work it does no I'm not seeing it anyway it's not a good fit and if it if it, if Tsushima was a foot, it would be like smaller than an eyeball. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's tiny in comparison to the Korean peninsula. Like but anyway. Little, little peg um, leg, I guess. Yeah. So um, <laughs> anyway. So from, from from 1418 to 1496, the Koreans sent over like representatives to Tsushima to reinforce what you know, that they saw it as Korean. And this kind of gradually annoyed the Japanese as the guy that, that they appointed uh, in 1509, decided to do his representing uh, from Korea because it was getting a bit dangerous for him, basically. So sometimes representatives were sent as internal officials, sometimes as international officials. The Koreans didn't really know kind of how to deal with Tsushima anymore. Um, but, you know, they, they kind of tried to maintain that link as best they could over the years. I do get the impression from maybe from later eras that the 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 Seoul governor sort of leaned into this at a, after a certain point. It was helpful for them. Like they yeah. kind of appeared as vassals at the Korean court rather than as you know foreign envoys, and that Korea's attitude towards them gave them unique sort of interlocutor opportunities. There was a few examples from what we've seen in other places where you know people are you know individuals are kind of playing both sides a little bit, um, and yeah. you know. I can't imagine that the Japanese weren't really interested in Tsushima all that much, apart from its relationship with Korea. So Military. they had to, you know, a bit of they'll kind of carry on themselves saying whatever to the Koreans, and the Japanese turn up and they're like, "Oh, hey, nah." But, that's but also, crazy, it wasn't, huh? you know, we didn't have centralized mm. countries at this time. You know, to there wasn't extent, like a single yeah. civil service. 
you know, kind of saying, well, obviously this is your, your role and you're overstepping. It's kind of like you give a local warlord jurisdiction and if his civil servants advise him to do something, like, you don't go and ask for permission from the busy yeah, shogun. Exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I guess, like, there's a, you know, there's possibly an element to recognizing that you're in a advantageous position here, yeah, being, yeah. you know, possibly being able to play off both sides. So, exactly. You know, it, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Um, so things stayed pretty mild for decades until the Japanese felt that the restricted access to the Korean market was cramping their style. And there was a bit of a conflict uh, called the Disturbance of the Three Ports, uh, namely Dongnei, Changwon, and Ulsan there on the Korean mainland. Um, as well as the frustration in these port cities, the So clan of Tsushima rode in behind uh, the kind of the, the, the people who were causing this 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 ruckus mm. in the mainland uh, when the riots started. Tsushima invaded a Korean island. Uh, the riots were oh. bloody, and the end tally was 270 Korean civilians dead and 800 homes destroyed, and almost 300 Japanese people killed, uh, and five Japanese ships sunk with the shogun putting the So clan on the naughty step for kind of you know, helping to make all of this happen. Um, it, it, was it the Korea-Japan conflict? Like if not Tsushima really, no. It was, it was like an internal okay. Korean thing that the, the, okay. the Japanese, well, that the, the So helped kind of foment. And like, yeah, they, they got pulled into a local conflict that they absolutely shouldn't have. Right, okay, it, it okay. as badly as, as you might kind of think. Hmm. And the Shogun was pissed. Um, yeah. That said, uh, Shogun Toyotomi Hideyoshi uh, came to power at the end of the century, seemed to think that, you know, actually, we maybe we don't need to be so peaceful with the Koreans, and decided to invade all of Korean China, uh, using Tsushima as his uh, forward yeah. base for the Enterprise. So, you know. That doesn't go well for him, does it? No. Uh, in 1592, a fighting force which consisted of 158,000 warriors and a navy with 9,200 mariners <laughs> flooded Korea. In reserve, he had another 100,000 armed men uh, in northern Kyushu, they they took Korea. That 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 part was quick and easy, uh, but a mix of Korean rebels and the Ming Chinese army uh, who who came in held them back. They tried to invade again, and I, I've seen fifteen ninety seven, fifteen ninety eight, but uh, Toyotomi died uh, soon after, and the plan kind of died with him. It was just you know, seen as you know, this is not this is not successful. We're not making this work. There's a there's a history of Japan podcast that that's quite good i remember listening to it years ago i remember this bit being fascinating i think bad weather played in a big role again in failures in that invasion just don't invade anywhere across the straits of tsushima just, just stay in your just, yeah just stay in your um, but it was, this is kind of a not not quite a reverse kamikaze but i'm pretty sure that there were storms in a way that made it very difficult to keep the japanese army supplied mm. when it was in oh, Korea. Yeah. and that makes sense and that was a feature of, of why it didn't work out um like there, so yeah, it was a little ill-conceived. There, there are times of the year there uh, when, like, you, you you're getting like a, a hurricane <laughs> for like a, a a week, and they're not always like hitting into the mainland, but like they're streaking across there. So yeah, I can. I can and I mean, see. if you've ever seen a Korean movie, yeah. it's just raining all the time. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just so rainy. So uh, so the next hundred years are pretty pretty mild as far as kind of historical events go. Tokugawa Ieyasu, he's kind of really mm. famous Japanese historical figure, recognizes the So clan. They're officially given Tsushima Fuchu domain. Um, 
and then you just have a, a load of Korean envoys coming kind of, you know, about once every 10 years to Tsushima as well. You know, relationships between Japan and Korea are pretty well restored. You, you, say, you say there, Mark, that like it was really rare for a family to keep their land in this period like yeah like yes it was a real reformer and well shook everything up a reformer yeah he put put the old world to the sword essentially like he burnt it all down for the most part but uh i i I guess but these guys were so they were so personally connected to this position yeah i mean he he, nobody else had the connections these weren't just your run-of-the-mill you know, uh, bog standard clan. Like they, they've been able to make this really difficult position work for the most part yeah. for, for a pretty long time. So, you know, they had, they had some special skills, I guess, in, in his view. So he, he kept them on. I think that's worth, worth, worth emphasizing. Um, and at this point, there was kind of an acceptance by the Koreans as you read, Mark, that like Tsushima well, is. Well, Japan had just invaded them twice. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, just keep your hands inside the cart. I would, I would I think this is kind of their, their approach. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, as, as we kind of, you know, know from the kind of the, the, the near future of Japan, they're going to start to do exactly that uh, and mm. kind of shut themselves off. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, think things change from there. But yeah, not, not, not a huge amount happens over this period. It's kind of, you know, there's building projects and the, the canal that splits the two chunks of the island kind of is built in this period. But, uh, Nothing, nothing, nothing earth shattering uh, until kind of the the end of the 1600s. Okay, so getting into the modern end of things now, Joe, I think you're going to pick up from here, are you? Yeah, no, I am. Um, so, yeah, this in the, I suppose, called the early modern period, mm. we, we see a little bit of, um, you know, more of a focus on economics and trade development Ooh. and all that kind of stuff. As and less We're less killing. on war, um, yeah, yeah. So you know, I suppose it's kind of some of the evidence has already been planted, like with your sort of your building canals and such, channels yeah. and opening silver mines. You know, all that stuff's happening. Uh, the So family had an important role in this unique intercession between Korea and Japan, and the diplomacy and the trade that went with it, and. Uh, so under the, the the new structures of society, it was ranked as a hundred thousand koku uh, territory, um, which is apparently a way of measuring the importance of okay. of a landholder. Right. Ha- so koku is like how many paddy yeah, fields? Yeah, so in possibly one of the most famous novels about Japan, at least from a Western perspective, is um, Shogun. I read it a couple of years ago, and this this features relatively mm. prominently in it, mm. where when the shogun gifts you like a, a piece of land, he measures it in kokus. Meaning, right. I think it's the amount of rice that it produces. This this land will produce in in a given year or something. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which on mainland China is very sensible, you know, because like that's the whole that's why the you know Edo period like can move the capital up to up to around Tokyo, wasn't it? it? Was because that was good flat arable land, and if if rice is your main crop, then that's how you measure how many people can you feed. Just two two things to throw in. One, I, th- I think it, you're I think you're right at kind of the Tokyo point in that. Um, I think it comes down to the flatness of the land because you can't just measure land. Eighty five percent of Japan is uninhabitable essentially because it's just these sheer mountains, yeah. and mm. you definitely can't grow rice on that land. Um, so you kind of need a different unit, like a sort of a functional unit, as opposed to like like arable land. Uh, and separately, whatever. I was once on a ferry in Japan. 
where both I and and the man I was speaking to were quite drunk, but uh, we were we were talking talking about his professional choices as a printer salesman, uh, and he was telling me that he had the choice between these two different prefectures to kind of set up as a printer salesman, and he chose uh, the one that had historically the greatest level of rice production. Uh, and I was able to like dig out of him like why he kind of logicked this out, and I guess he was talking about cuckoo as in like the number of cuckoo per per prefecture. Oh, because you, you were speaking in English about this? Were you? No, no, I was speaking in Japanese. <laughs> but uh, but uh, uh, but it was it was basically that like well they will have always had more money so they'll buy more of my printers. So that's <laughs> anyway. But yeah, anyway. Uh, so yeah, a thousand this, years ago, this this area was much richer. So that was, therefore, that was, they, they must now have money saved up for printers. That was the logic. Like, it probably isn't a t- like we don't have a similar measurement in the in the western world but it probably isn't a bad like you look at the regions of europe that are the wealthiest and they are the ones that have been able to do farming yeah. for the longest you know it helps um it is it, it, it does make Ireland, sense though like, that the east with the good land is the rich yeah, bit. <laughs> but it does make sense as you, as you say mark if if there's um you know there's no point in measuring it measuring land in square meters if you can't grow anything on it so yeah. that'd be a real scam before you visit when you should move to the new world where we've we set out a ten thousand acre yeah. area for you it's, it's amazing it's, it's in the alps <laughs> good luck it's yeah. a desert i see <laughs> yeah yeah so anyway um because of this importance it was the, these kokus seem to occasionally have been sort of imaginary kokus right uh, uh, okay so in reality um Tsushima could produce the equivalent of 10,000 kokus of rice. But it was ranked as 100,000 koku territory because it had extra value. So to put this in in real terms, at the peak of the Korea trade, the population was about 32,000, half of whom were in the castle town of Fuchu. Of these 32,000, roughly half of them lived off grain produced on the island. So that's your um, your 15,000 people living off about 10,000 kokus, close to accurate then rice grown on solans in the mainland on kyushu fed another seven thousand so they were kind of importing food from their other holdings Mm. which made it viable but expensive Um, yeah but expensive and and obviously at the cost of you know the people in those holdings but you know you can make it work and then another seven thousand people would have been fed based on gifts given to the so by the korean court which were typically equivalent to about eight thousand three hundred koku a year from the mid seventeenth century onwards, so they were getting like a big chunk of their, um, their economy from the Korean so trade, and this is kind of counted in, in terms of like your when you're divvying up land and and things among your vassals, yeah. they should be able to measure against each other. You know who's got the best deal, and because this had these extra value, you um, it counted as more, even though it wasn't as food mm. producing. I, I kind of. I think of it as, um, you know, there's, there's certain, I've seen, you've probably seen these tables before of like the U.S. states that make kind of a, what their net contribution is to the federal government. Okay. Yeah. So Tsushima is, is obviously not producing as much rice as it, as it requires to be sustained, but I suppose possibly um, part of the reason why they're they're subsidizing it is because of its strategic position. Yeah, and it's bringing in other money. Um so as I said, the, in this era, the So family are now daimyos, which is a word people might know from from its kind of widespread liberal usage in, in mm. fiction. Um, they had often carried out trade in Busan, uh, in, in Korea, sometimes independently of Edo's orders, so the Ooh. capital 
of Japan at this point was Edo, uh, or even someone without the knowledge of Edo. And um, they operated as vassals at the Jomian court rather than official imperial mm. envoys on behalf of and Japan. And daimyos are, are kind of... Um, governors. Governors, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. With a military and administrative mm. job. So top, top men in the region. Uh, the trade with Korea was quite sizable, amounting in the 1710s, 1730s, for example, to 30,000 can of silver, or roughly 8% of all the silver coins minted in Japan during Ooh. that time. Okay. So, it's a mm-hmm. lot of silver. Uh, and I think they're mining the silver here oh, as well, yeah. which is good. The So family were advised by a Confucian uh, scholar called Suyama Totsuan, who has a statue in Tsushima. He advised the daimyo to shift the focus of the island to culling deer and bears because agriculture might do better if there weren't so many grazing deer and rampage okay. bears. And when, uh, when the economy suffered by changes in the silver value, basically, he was like, we need to increase agriculture. Yeah, levels, so we're not so Why my poor bears? We're not so um, vulnerable to... You know, the, the price of silver shouldn't topple our government. <laughs> Even when I knew, knew it was the immigrants, I knew it was yeah. the bears. Yeah. There was a big fire in the province at the castle town of Fuchu, which is also called Izuhara, uh, in 1732. And this burnt about 12, 1,300 houses and 29 temples and shrines. So that's doing damage, you know, on a similar scale to uh, to those Korean invasions wow. I mentioned. So it was a big fire. Uh, must have done a lot of damage. In 1748, in recognition of the importance of the Korean trade for intelligence gathering, uh, importing ginseng and coastal defense, so, you know, ticking mm-hmm. a few boxes, uh, the shogun exempted the domain from contributing financially to the defense of the port of Nagasaki. But there was a continuing economic decline. So from the 1770s onwards, private trade started to collapse, in part due to improved production of commodities in Japan and less of a need for Korean ginseng, Korean um, finished goods. Tsushima began to require loans and it gained a reputation for not repaying its loans. Uh Agriculture improvements suggested by the Confucian scholars were not enough to make up the loss. They did improve agriculture. Didn't didn't kill enough bears, Joe, obviously. Yeah, killing a few bears wasn't enough Mm. in this bear market. (laughs) Um, Very nice. So a guy called Sugimaru Naoki, a high-ranking so courtier, convinced the shogunate to give uh, to give Tsushima an annual grant until the 1860s, um, like a kind of a no-strings-attached annual payout. Yeah. But uh, a change in the court at that point in the 1860s eventually put an end to his influence, and this concession was also wrapped up. So that must have been a real blow. They pivoted to marine products, including whaling. You know, things are always going well. You know, if you haven't killed enough bears, maybe What's bigger than a bear? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Keep asking that. I don't know. <laughs> but reliance on loans and on Korean rice to literally feed the population was an ongoing concern at all times. But the, the extra land on Kyushu that they had been given did help. Like they, And they were sort of always calling for, could we have some better land on Kyushu? That would sort of, all these bears, I mean, to answer for. it's making it real difficult for us over There's here. There's bears everywhere yeah. in Japan. In 1811, the last Korean embassy visited Tsushima. So this is kind of, this important role is, is drying up as the nature of international diplomacy is changing. And this embassy didn't even go on to Edo. In the 1840s, Western ships started calling to Tsushima more often. Um, 
officials and we know that Japan is really nervous about Westerners. Is this, is this the period during which uh, it was closed to um, Westerners? I, I, think up, I think it was closed in 1840s. It's around the time where the Americans forced them to open up. The black yeah. ships arrived. I think that was the late 1840s, like 1848 in my head. But yeah. 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 So it, it, it's at that period where all these Western powers and the Chinese indeed are knocking at the door, kind of demanding Japan open up and trade all their yeah. fancy things. Uh, with the rest of the world. The world needs Pikachu. And Tsushima was kind of part of that. So officials argued for the importance of fortifying Tsushima as a bulwark against potential invasions uh, and they sent to Busan for teachers to instruct them in what was described as in the source I read as Dutch writing. I assume, you know, right. European writing okay. in general. I mean, it hasn't, as we've seen historically, it hasn't been great as a bulwark against invasion necessarily. No, so. no, no. They yeah. always try. The British had also done some hydrological surveying of the islands, okay. which should make you <laughs> nervous. Um, in light of this, officials like Sasu Iori, uh, who would have been a like a chief minister in, in the Seoul government of the island, he petitioned the Japanese government to take direct control of Tsushima and give the Seoul clan another fife, as it was becoming increasingly untenable. So the Seoul's kind of want out at this point. Right, buy us out, government. Yeah, could you? Yeah, could you pay us off? Give us somewhere nice to retire, you know, and not have to deal with all of this. All these bears and yeah. foreigners. <laughs> this culminated in 1861 with the Tsushima incident, uh, which was uh, one of the catalysts for for conflict with Russia. So, a plan had been made by Vice Admiral Ivan uh, Likachev, a commanding. Uh, who commanded a Russian squadron in the waters of Japan, and um, also with the commander of the Posadnik, which was a particular ship uh, called Nikolai Virilev. They had worked together with the Russian consul at Hakodate, a man called Goshkovich, on this plan, with the understanding that St. Petersburg was on board, you know, the Russian government thought it was a great idea, but they would also deny all knowledge if the plan failed. Okay. Classic. One of these, like, if you so, su- yeah. if you succeed, we're fully behind you. And if you fail, we've never hero. heard of you. <laughs> yes. Um. So, yeah, I think, so this is the 1860s. This is after the Japanese have allowed embassies and trading posts at Hakodate in the north of Japan. And the Russians have, I, I actually visited there last time I was in Japan. Like, there's a Russian Orthodox church and an embassy on one street. There's an Anglican church and a British embassy on another street. And there's a an American embassy around the corner and they're all kind of on the same right. hill. <laughs> you know, the Japanese had given an inch and now this ship wanted to lead the charge and sort of thin end yeah. of the wedging it open. Uh, the aim is to appropriate Tsushima by setting up an unauthorized military base or all-year anchorage. The Pasadnik arrived in the inlet of Ozaki and demanded uh, landing rights. The shogunate was understandably very nervous of Russian intentions as our long-time listeners will recall from the Kuril Islands episode, Japan had already seen Adam Laxman, who was, despite his name, a Russian uh, officer. Uh, he'd burnt several villages in the northern islands of Hokkaido decades earlier in the face of Japan's isolation policies. And Tsushima was not one of the open ports that the Russians were allowed trade with, which I think were Nagasaki and uh, Hakodate yeah. and a few others. So once again, as with the Kuril Islands, Sakhalin and Hokkaido, Russia was raising questions about the territorial limits of Japan, they were kind of trying to pick mm. off the edges. Tension simmered as the governor, so Yoshikazu, awaited instructions from Edo. 
and instructed his samurais and his farmers against any rash actions. Kind of keep your powder cool, your powder yeah, dry, cool guys. Dry powder. Um, but then a second ship arrived with formal requests to build on Tsushima, which were ignored. The Russians started surveying with a with a boat, with a, like a launch, and they crossed a picket line uh, erected in the bay by some farmers. Um, and of course, farmers would have been armed at this point. You kind of had, you know, they would have been your your stand your reservists militia you know, your militia yeah. exactly that's the word i was looking for so uh violence erupted and one japanese farmer matsumura yasugoro was killed and a samurai was captured and he probably what did he do committed um seppuku seppuku there you seppuku. go yes of course yeah. he did yes captures capture a samurai you're yeah. not gonna have him for long um so after six months of refusals, local edicts from Nagasaki and diplomacy with the embassy, uh, the Russian embassy in, in Hakodate had failed. The British vice admiral was asked to help. John Hope had a, had a fleet in Japanese water. They were invited to force the Russians to withdraw. And British foreign policy at the time was to avoid territorial entanglements in Asia and also dissuade other Europeans from territorial entanglements in Asia. So they, uh, London and Edo had uh, aligning... And, and the British obviously famously had no uh, territorial entanglements in Asia <laughs> at all. Entanglements so. like <laughs> India. Yeah. Oh, well, I think they mean East Asia. Hong Kong. Um, like this was before Hong Kong, uh, wasn't it? No, I think we're in the middle of it. 17... I think we're after. No, this is about the same time. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. The British have, have not oh, have not never been hypocrites <laughs> on foreign Fair policy. Enough. So. But the enemy of my enemy is my friend was the, the yeah. opinion of Japan. Uh, so that kind of um, blew over. But again, the officials in the So court were were very keen to have the Japanese government take it from them. So Sasuiori again petitioned for the government to take Tsushima. But at home, he was embroiled in a succession scandal about which of So Yoshikazu's sons would be his heir. He had various consorts, of course. Uh, as you do, and Sasu backed the son of I think his primary consort Midori, while Yoshinojo, the son of his samurai wife, was favoured by a more vocal cohort who were called Sonojoi, which apparently means revere the emperor, expel the barbarians, okay. kind of a political party, with quite a clear, uh, quite a clear angle. <laughs> There's too many of these Christians yeah. around. Um. So, what would you call it? Like hardline yeah. nationalists, maybe? Traditionalists. Um, and they backed the samurai wife's son, which makes sense. They assassinated uh, this chief minister, Sasu. And the ascendant faction, the uh, Brits out or Russians out faction, they allied with another domain and convinced the daimyo to abdicate in favour of their chosen son. This internal disorder basically meant that... Tsushima was left out of the Meiji Restoration. So, like, in mainland Japan, big changes were happening. Feudalism was being abolished in favor of, like, mm. a modern nation-state. And they were busy murdering each other in ways that meant they didn't really get a seat at the table there. So that the Han feudal system was being abolished. Tsushima domain became part of the Izahara Prefecture in 1871. The next year it was transferred to the Nagasaki Prefecture, where it still is. And its districts of... of Kamiagata and Shimoagata, which as far as I can tell just mean upper and lower department or like county, they were merged into the modern city of Tsushima. I was wondering, Mark, could you 
tell us in, in Japan a city is just an administrative unit is it rather than a yeah I like mean a she. like everything is in a city usually like everything so there's not no really. spaces between cities. not like I, I lived in a pretty rural area okay. and like everything belonged to a city like the, you know, the city essentially as you say was kind of the administrative unit so there was islands off the coast of where I was that were all a part of the city um, administratively so yeah yeah that makes sense because I was kind of looking at the map kind of going like the whole island is one mm. city and I thought it's not though there's yeah. gaps like there's there's various urban you know regions and then places full of bears and they're all they're all considered one city part of Tsujima city yeah yeah um so the the so family suggested that the government's foreign affairs minister should take over management of relations with Korea. They're really checking out, mm. like at this point, like that ending I mean, their own. Been trying role. to check out for like a generation, for quite a yeah, hundred years, a couple point. of generations. Yeah. Uh, so Yashia Kira took a role as a, the deputy foreign minister initially, trying to like reestablish relationships with Korea, but uh, no longer as a vassal at the Korean court, but as the imperial representative. Uh, so he kind of, in a transitionary period, he, he he did that. He kind of took on a civil service role, but it was no longer a hereditary. 1876 led to the Treaty of Gangwa, uh, a treaty of amity giving Korea rights to Japan that they now give Westerners to trade mm. with Japan. In 1895, after a Sino-Japanese war ended, with Japan imposing very harsh conditions on Qing China, so we know that the Qing dynasty were reasonably weak, and that's why... China lost Hong Kong. It's why here they were going to lose uh, the Liaodong Peninsula up beside Korea, where Port Arthur is. So Korea now had the trading rights that Westerners had. And in 1899, an imperial ordinance established Izohara, Sasuna, and Shishimi on Tsushima Island as open ports for British and American trade. So we now have a much more open mm. Tsushima. Um, and I understand... Luke, you're going to talk about the Sino-Japanese War and its impact on Tsushima in your section. Sure. Maybe we'll take a quick break and then uh, we'll talk about that just after this. Konnichiwa, listeners. We hope you're enjoying this tale of trade emissaries, territorial disputes and divine winds. As you know by now, this podcast is supported exclusively by listeners like you. You can help the show to grow by telling a friend, leaving us a review, or sharing your favourite episode on social media, wherever is good these days. You can also support us in keeping the show on the road by subscribing to our Patreon. Patreon subscribers, like many of you already are, are to podcasts what kokus are to the economy of a Japanese feudal lord, and it will help us invest in important things like web hosting, music, research, and or a well-equipped samurai army. If you want to find out more about supporting the show, head over to patreon.com slash 80 days podcast to check out all the details. But for now, back to Tsushima. So yeah, we talked previously about the Russo-Japanese War uh, in our Coral Islands episode, as we mentioned. So I'll focus a little bit more on uh, kind of the... The military engagements in and around Tsushima, which is probably the most significant part of uh, this section of mine. I should say at the top that um, one of my key sources for this was the, the Battle of Tsushima, the history and legacy of the decisive naval battle that ended the Russo-Japanese War, 
by Charles River editors. I'll quote from that book a couple of times. Um, but yeah, basically, you, you touched on it, Joe. From 1868 onwards, we had the Meiji Restoration, the formation of the Imperial Japanese Navy, uh, and they were very much aided by the British. Um, and you know, the the Imperial Navy would ha- come to have a huge influence on uh, naval warfare in in both world wars, obviously. But yeah, Russia, again, has begun to build up its presence in this region, specifically around uh, Vladivostok. But uh, same old story, it doesn't have a warm water port and would love to to have one. (sighs) Russia, that warm water port. Uh, Russia becomes a bit spooked when Japan wins a decisive naval victory over China, uh, which you talked about, Joe, in 1895. Yeah, so Qing dynasty China was weak uh, and, and very vulnerable to having bits chipped yeah. off it so we, you know in our in our Kowloon episode we talked about how Hong Kong was lost and in the Kuril Islands we talked about other things and here they they were going to lose the Laodong Peninsula to the Japanese as part of a humiliating a, a climb down yeah um so J- Japan is obviously kind of the up and coming power in the region at this time and um it expands its influence uh, over Korea which borders on Russia. Uh, even today, I think we've mentioned it in the possibly in the Coral Islands episode as well. Like North Korea shares a teeny tiny little border with Russia. You have to zoom in very far on Google Maps to to find it, but it is it's it's like a ten or fifteen or twenty kilometers or something. It's very very small. It's definitely wide enough to import yeah, arms for sure. Uh, so at this point, Russia, Germany, and France form a super team uh, nice. in what's known as the Triple Intervention against Japan. Sangoku Kanjo. Yeah. Uh, forcing it to give up Port Arthur, uh, which it, it had just gained control of from China. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Japan has its own climb down here and is, is sort of humiliated on the international stage. Mm, you won the war, but like we can't have you. Yeah, exactly. Puppeting, we, you know. you know, and and this has been dictated by yep. people from Europe who like we don't <laughs> even go here. I mean, Russia has at least had the good grace of like colonizing a whole chunk of Asia in order to yeah. have a say in the matter. When you've got, you know, the French uh, and the, the Germans, Germans kind of dictating yeah. your your policy in this region. So one year on from that climb down, Russia negotiates a 25-year lease on Port Arthur, uh, giving it that more motor port, at least for, for a time. And at the beginning of the 18th century, amid China's mm. uh, Boxer Rebellion, which was partially sparked by foreign intervention in the region. Is that is that the one where where the leader was Jesus? Or yeah, we something? always say every time we come near it, like Jesus, you need to you do one of that. That sounds that's really insane. Yeah. Jesus's brother, wasn't it? The guy claimed he was Jesus' brother. <laughs> Jesus' yeah. brother. Yes. So Russia increases its military presence in Asia, heightening tensions across the region, and particularly with Japan. The Japanese government correctly anticipated that a war with Russia or another Western imperial power was very likely in the years ahead. And as yep. such, Tsushima is recognized as a key naval base. Mm-hmm. And to ensure easier access for its fleet, the Japanese government decides to blow up a chunk of the island in order to create a canal. That happened between 1895 and 1904. The Manzeki-Seito mm-hmm. Canal was first opened at 25 meters or 82 feet wide and 3 meters uh, or 10 feet deep. And was later expanded to 40 meters wide or f- and four and a half meters deep, having been blasted through a mountainous rocky isthmus of the island between Aso Bay to the west and Tsushima Straits to the east, which technically divided Tsushima Island into three islands at this point. I think there was an earlier canal. Because there was a, a, the earlier canal 
that, yeah. that happened in the what, 1600s. So this is 200 years later to go for a much deeper, they're, they're, they're Panama. Yeah, a much bigger, much deeper doesn't canal. doesn't seem like it would be that hard to go around, to be honest. But, There's um, plenty of water around it. So as, as far as I understand, the idea was that you could transport your navy from Japan's inland sea into the Korea Strait yeah. or the Yellow Sea, kind of less detected, maybe? Yeah. Or, or maybe that it would protect from weather. And I assume, like, um, if it's a canal right through the middle of the island, then other, you know, um, it can be very well covered by uh, artillery yeah, and stuff. By, so by defense, you can yeah. use it yourself, but your enemies cannot. That's true. And that was built by Ferdinand de Lesseps, right? <laughs> I don't think. I don't think so. <laughs> no. No. So, nineteen oh four, Japan demanded that Russia uh, demilitarize Manchuria. Russia refuses, and Japan declares war. And at the outbreak of that conflict, Japan had six battleships to Russia's seven, I think in the Pacific, meaning they were relatively evenly matched in this in this region. Russia basically sort of closes ranks around Port Arthur, aiming to wait it out and let the cavalry in the form of the Baltic and Black Sea fleets to join in in a few months. Admiral Togo of the Japanese Navy bottles up the uh, Russian Pacific f- fleet there, so effectively surrounds them, and Japanese troops advance over land. The Russians uh, then realize that they've made a terrible mistake and try to break out numerous times from Port Arthur but can't manage to do so. And in December, Japanese forces take the hill overlooking the port and basically just shell the crap out of the Russians, just just drop tons of artillery down onto them and onto their ships, uh, sinking most of the their, their battleships and the, the city falls within about a month. So the Russians are humiliated and they decide to send a bunch of ships from their Baltic oh fleet, which departs uh, in October, but takes seven months to make its way out to Japan, arriving in May of 1905. I think there was some incident as well. We touched on the Coral Islands oh where they encountered British ships and mistook them for Japanese. That sounds about right. And yeah. then uh, yeah. the the British like closed off the Suez Canal or something to them in response. Because famously, a, a red cross looks a lot like a big blazing yeah. sun. Um, they should blast a canal from St. Petersburg to Vladivostok. <laughs> 25 metres wide, 8 metres deep. Get Deliceps on the job. That would sort out their... their um, Warm water problem. Yeah. But the, 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 the seven month gap basically gives the Japanese time to prepare and in particular yeah, it really takes momentum out yeah, of battle, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, we're gonna get you in round two. Just just hold just on. Just hold on for six months oh, and on. we'll be there. Don't move. But in particular, the Japanese focus on the use of radio, which is a relatively new technology at the time. And mm. this was I believe probably the first kind of major naval or military conflict really that radio played a key role in. Okay. It allowed them to patrol the Straits of Tsushima and spot the Russian fleet as soon as it arrived and then transmit that to command very quickly. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens on May 27th of, I think, 1905. Uh, thanks to their superior tactics, their slightly faster ships and their innovative use of radio, the Russian fleet is decisively beaten off Tsushima in a battle that is still celebrated today. This is, yeah, as, as I mentioned in the intro, one of the, the things that I think Tsushima is best known for in Japan nowadays, the victory is greeted with astonishment on the world stage. It's like a, it's headline news kind of globally. Uh, Russia is the first Western power to be decisively beaten by an Eastern force. And in mm. Japan, the defeat is a huge source of national pride. Imperial Russia's mm-hmm. like Russia was among the, the kind of most powerful nations of the world at this time. Yeah. yeah and Imperial Russia standing on the world stage and internally is very badly damaged. So in The Guns of August, quite a famous book about the, the early days of World War One, American historian Barbara Tuckman argues that because of Russia's loss, 
that was uh, kind of destabilizing to the balance of power in Europe. I think it hastened the Rus- Russian Revolution, and it also emboldened the central powers and contributed to their decision to go to war in 1914. I was, I was actually, it was when you started talking about this, it was the Russian Re- Revolution was what popped into my head, is that like, you know, because you know, the Russians went into World yeah. War One, as did all countries, and it was awful for all of them. But... <laughs> Like the Russians were stinking the joint out on the way in, you know. At least some of the other armies were having you know, successes yeah. and were, you know, managing their colonies. And, so and so only ten years been... earlier, Russia exactly. had been spanked in Asia. So, so how much faith would you have as a Russian fighting man that, like, no, they'll they, they have this, they'll sort it out. No, no, they've they're awful now. They've been awful for a long time. But yeah, I, I just to to round off here a, a quote from a guy called Phil Thorne, who wrote a book called Tsushima: Japan's Trafalgar, and he says Tsushima was not only the culmination and climax of the pre-dreadnought era; it was the most decisive naval battle ever fought. Other battles are more well known, but they did not achieve such a result, neither in their decisiveness nor in bringing the war in which they were fought to a conclusion. Okay. And just there wasn't much for role in World War Two for Tsushima. I assume, not not that I could see. No. Okay. No. I suppose it's a different era. Yeah. Yeah, Japan is expanding rather than being defensive mm-hmm. during that era as well, which changes things. And I mean, the, the most of the fighting, to my understanding, that took place kind of in the, the battle for Japan, as it were, took place on, on the yeah. kind of in those tiny Pacific islands, you know, so yeah. rather than in this, in this neck of the woods. Okay. Yeah. So I think... That brings us up to, you know, well, that brings sort us up to the 1950s. Modern times. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, near enough modern day. Yeah, uh, it's just a, a, a couple of, I mean, Tsushima is a pretty quiet place. There's not a whole heck of a mm. lot going on there. Um, Most of like, the time, it, it, until there's decisive yeah. military events. Well, yes, but, I mean, in, in the modern day, in terms, like, it, it's, it's really more that kind of, ongoing political aspect between Korea and Japan is still kind of its main point of relevance um, kind of kicking off with that in mind 1950 Korea was making noises that they would be you know pretty keen if maybe you know they could just get Tsushima now could we have it please because we really wanted it for such a long time and it was ours but we don't remember when but we'd like it please and you need to remember the kind of the, the times that, that, that were there is that the Americans were kind of administering the kind of setting up of a new Japanese state to replace, mm. you know, what had, what yeah. had come before. So there, there was so a little bit of uh, flexibility uh, here. Well, I mean, they'd already lost the Coral Islands mm. to Russia. So yeah, indeed. Why not another yeah. bite? Um, so, yeah, the, 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 the Koreans made a pitch, but the Americans were pretty convinced at the Japanese case that Tsushima had been you know, conclusively theirs for hundreds of years. So eventually the Koreans kind of let it go. And the Americans, and I think everyone was like pretty happy with that because they didn't want to have to like, you know, have, have a dispute about this at a sort of a difficult time. The population in 1960, just for context, is about 60,000 people. Which, which is only double what it was like back in the, you know, yeah, Tokugawa shogun. It's really small. Uh, and like Japanese cities are dense. Like, I, I lived in a Japanese city, which was not even the biggest in its prefecture. Like, no one has ever heard of this place. It was still, like, 120,000 people. Like, it was still still pretty pretty mm. sizable. So, yeah, he, there's a kind of succession of disputes around the mid-2000s. So 2005, the Korean city of Masan designates a day for Tsushima as a response 
two measures by uh, Japan's Shimane Prefecture over uh, Takeshima, which is uh, also known as Dokdo. It's another one of these kind of, you know, uh, disputed islands. So that's a Korean island that Japan was saying it over. It, yeah, it's it's known as Takeshima in Japan, Dokdo to the Koreans. And yeah, just like, it was basically local municipal leaders Fine. trying to make a bit of noise. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so um, Korea in 2008 was not very happy that Japan started teaching in its schools that Dokdo was Japanese. That was Takeshima mm. in Japan. Dokdo uh, is, you know, as I've said, it's kind of a similar similar situation to Tsushima. So Tsushima kind of gets pulled into the conversation around it as well. Dokdo is much smaller than Tsushima, but it's kind of, in the modern terms, probably more strategically important. So the Koreans took their protest about this to Tsushima, holding a rally outside the city hall with a banner reading, Dokdo and Tsushima are both South Korean oh. territory. And to show they meant business, one protester cut his finger to draw some okay. blood. Um, so, you know, good for him, I guess. Assuming it was a him, I think we can safely Probably. assume it was a him. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, um, is this maybe the time for flag chat? Flag talk. Yeah, we can do some flag talk. The um, yeah, flag talk. the flag, as yeah. most Japanese flags are, is amazing. It's a beautiful flag. Um, it's 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 yeah, kind it's of a, a white field with what looks kind of like a star or a flower, I suppose, um, in the center, in in kind of so a six petaled. Yeah, maybe. in kind of a turquoise green type color, um, or, or, or like some kind of nuclear. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, nu- nuclear yeah, um, boomerang orbital sort of yeah. representation. Yeah, so the flower or the emblem, I suppose, of of the city as as it's known, is made up of six stylized hiragana characters, uh, so kanji characters, which read as two. So they're they're kind of arranged in a, oh, in a sort of flower right. pattern. Yeah, you would know that, Mark. Cool. That's one of the ones I've learned recently. Um, the shape of Tsu is kind of a, like a like a backward C. Almost. Yeah, like a backward C. The yeah. angles are different, but that sort of shape, like a curved shape. Yeah, I was thinking it's like a sickle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I that's one of the few I learned when I was there because I could I could always buy things with Tsuna in them. Mm. Um, to to to, yeah. to Tsuna Mayo. Yeah, the, my, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you knew what you were getting with a Tsuna Mayonnaise. Yeah. So it, it represents apparently the flow of time to connect the history and uh, the future of Tsushima. So it, it's a very beautiful flag. It's very good. I mean, Japanese city and prefecture flags are just outstanding. Like if you ever if you ever have a look at you know just have a quick. It, it could do it more writing though. Just kind of like you know oh, established yeah. in the most benevolent you know yeah or just a a, a date. It's very nice. Yeah, uh, I, I, I would give it a nine out of ten. I mm-hmm. think so. It like it almost looks like a cool brand logo. Yeah, more, more than a more than a piece of heraldry. Yeah. So uh, we mentioned the the video game. Uh, that is probably one of the key kind of modern mm-hmm. events for this island because it, it it has really kind of exploded awareness of it. It's driven tourism um, as well, I think, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I have read that they're selling kind of Ghost of Tsushima memorabilia on the island as like. To, to people who I guess are making a video game based pilgrimage to the place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there, there was a, I think there was a storm and a shrine was uh, destroyed on the island. And Ghost of Tsushima fans helped raise more than two hundred sixty thousand dollars to rebuild. Oh it. wow! Okay, uh, okay. So, that's, that's yeah, like was, some um, real world good. They they had a, yeah. uh, I think a goal of forty seven thousand, and they exceeded it by five hundred and forty percent. So it's nice. uh, and it was like our yeah, like our first um, Kickstarter campaign, yeah. 
Mm. <laughs> That's a lot of cokus. Uh, also, like, I mean, when when I was there, I was very aware that like uh, Kyushu, which is like the western bit of Japan, it has this link with Korea. Uh, and you know, currently there's only regular flights from from there to Fukuoka, which is the biggest city on Kyushu. And you can also you can get a ferry to Busan. I think it was closed during COVID. It's actually just reopened. Mm. Um, so it, it you know its only links are to the closest bit of Japan and the closest bit of Korea. Yeah. Um, no, no, there's no other reason to be going there really. Um, and the last thing I was just going to say is I read this interesting article, which is kind of one of these geopolitical strategy kind of things, but it was kind of making the point that it's still really pretty important, particularly the Straits. But you know it. This has a pretty, pretty commanding position in the Straits, and Japan gets ninety percent of its fuel through the Straits of Tsushima because they don't really have you know oil or gas, nice. so they they import all of that. And particularly after the you know TEPCO problems of the the tsunami and the the um, meltdown of Fukushima and so on, um, they 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 got rid of a lot of their or at least kind of sidelined a lot of their their nuclear power uh, production, so they're really reliant on this now. And the other kind of thing to bear in mind is that, like, there there are other countries nearby, for example, Russia and China and North Korea. And when you consider that, it's actually, ugh, it's actually a pretty, pretty spicy area. Um, yeah. Apparently, they, they, they collaborate, maybe not, maybe less than North Koreans, but um, they, they kind of generally collaborate to make sure that shipping that goes through there, you know, is coordinated and doesn't crash mm. and all that. But, you know, you, you'd have to assume that if anything did happen in that area of the world this this area would would it would heat up pretty flipping quickly so yeah it's it's gonna be kind of one to watch for the future things are pretty chill there now but you know maybe not forever i i one or two little kind of culture things so yeah. just coming back to the, the the korean influence i came across a discussion on the the, the dialect on tsushima and like it's surprisingly mm. the dialect of japanese has almost no Korean influence. So, you you know, it kind of undermines the it was Korean angle. Mm. Like, you know, due to its geographic proximity and special role in diplomacy of Korea, linguists might have expected and then used to expect that the dialect would show some influence from Korean. Um, but they weren't able to test that hypothesis until the 50s because of Japan being quite closed off to foreign academic mm. research. So the Linguistic Society of Japan did a full-scale research uh, there in the 50s with several other academic societies and were surprised to find virtually no influence of Korean. They could find a couple of loan words in the northernmost community of Waniyora, such as Yamban, meaning the rich, from the Korean Yangban, and Pe, meaning ship, from the Korean Bay. Uh, mm. And they also had a word for like an unmarried Korean man, which comes from the Korean Changbak. But... Um, you know, okay. they were not nativized. Like they were, these words were still clearly used as kind of like in italics, if you will, um, as okay. loan words. And then the Korean word for sweet potato, koguma, is actually thought to have been borrowed from the Tsushima dialect of Japanese. So actually the other way, other way around. There's also okay. a native cat. It's a, an endemic species of the leopard cat. I heard there used to be bears, but they're gone now. Yeah. <laughs> there's the state of times, but it's now, now endangered. Uh, as of 2009, it's estimated there's 80 to 100. And similarly, the, the, the sturdy Taishu horses that grew up on the kind of rocky hillsides uh, are also at risk. There's only about 41 individuals uh, in 2018. 
but breeding programs are looking at related populations released on other islands over the centuries to see if they could reintroduce a bit of genetic diversity into that group of 41 individuals and maybe keep that you mean get them to hunt joe get Mm. the little horses to to do it keep keep that horse going yeah um so that's that's some stuff i picked up i i I just had a little bit tiny bit on the economy the islands are very heavily forested still to this day so lumber is an important um export you've also got exports of shiitake mushrooms Mm. millet soybeans and buckwheat exciting stuff Mm. yeah and in the 21st century number of korean tourists visiting Tsushima dramatically increased uh leading to a a kind of increase in investments on the island however as a result of souring relations between japan and korea in 2019 visitors to Tsushima from south korea have decreased quite significantly by almost 90 percent is what i read so it seems to be a, a quite a thing in in asia where if if kind of political relations are good between two countries then you're much more likely to send your tourists there versus if they're yeah. not i know china is very good at that as well as like you know if 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 you kind of do something to annoy the chinese government they'll they'll basically withdraw significant amounts of tourism i'm not sure exactly how they manage that i it's, suppose it's tourism visa is very heavily controlled it's, it's yeah it's visa approvals so like yeah you know you have you know a hundred thousand quota per year like oh we're friends yeah. it can be five hundred thousand. oh you yeah were, you were a jerk down to down to a thousand i'm sorry yeah. Whoops. uh it's a very like it, it doesn't necessarily mean that the population have like lost all interest in going to the place we yeah. hate disneyland now often state-controlled media kind of helps with that too so yeah it's, yeah it's the, but i think the main thing is to kind of tourism approvals okay. yeah and then just on food i had a quick look at um types of food that are traditional to tsushima the one that popped up a few times is rokube noodles, which are um, made from sweet potato, which I think is is sounds quite Excuse unique me? anyway from what I what I know. Yeah, uh, served in either a chicken or fish based broth, topped with either spring onions or a steamed fish paste. Mm. Do love a steamed fish paste, mm. and originated mm. in the Edo period, uh, apparently. So fair enough. Yeah, I mean, sounds pretty good. Bored with that. that sounds yeah. pretty good. Yeah, so try it. Yeah. Mm. Okay, great. So I guess we'll leave it there for today. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can uh, do so via Patreon. Uh, we are patreon.com forward slash 80 days podcast. You can also find more episodes at 80 days com, And you can find us on most of the social medias, not TikTok, unless you're, you, you're volunteering, Joe, <laughs> to, to start a TikTok account. I don't know what we put on it like very very short videos of of, of, of uh, very short clips of the podcast i don't know yeah sure why not but yeah you can find us on twitter and on instagram and we're on facebook as well so and you can also reach us via uh, email as well directly if you want to send us a message that's 80 days podcast at gmail.com I should probably mention we, we we had a problem with our email account for a while so uh if you emailed us recently and are in the last couple of months and you haven't heard back from us try us again uh try us again <laughs> yes the account was a little bit uh, broken yeah and you can also leave us a review uh if you're feeling so inclined if you enjoyed the episode leave us a, a review at the uh, apple Podcasts uh, platform thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next one bye bye johnny